is going on, everybody? You're listening to Past the Time Podcast with me, AJ Woznazensky. We have a lot going on on the show today. I'll start off by telling you what creepypastas we're going to read. We're actually doing a redo episode. Back a few months ago, I read Slenderman and the Rake, but when I read them, I was reading them in a studio at my house, and it just I didn't like the way it sounded, so I figured I'd put out a better quality copy of, that, of those ones for you guys, so that's what I'm doing here. I've been meaning to do this for a long time, but thought, you know what? Today's the day. Time for The Rake and Slenderman. So sorry if you were expecting some new ones, but hopefully these are going to sound a lot better than when I first did them. But we have a lot to get to before we get to the creepypastas. For one thing, uh, I went garage sailing this past weekend. If you haven't been garage sailing, you just drive around, go to yard sales, garage sales, and find some awesome stuff. Normally, I find shit all, but this weekend, I hit the jackpot. I got like seven or eight goosebumps. I got tales to read in the dark, and then even more tales to read in the dark. Also, I got NHL Hits 2003 and Destroy All Humans 2 and The Chappelle Show Season 1, and I only spent like $6, so amazing, amazing garage sailing weekend for me, and if you want to see a picture of all those items, I posted it on Facebook, probably posted on Twitter as well, so you can check both those out there, so I'm just in a good mood because of all the amazing garage sale finds I had. Now, before we get into the horror fix, I wanted to give a couple shout-outs uh, out to Dan. If you've been a long-time listener of the show, you've probably heard Dan on the podcast here, reading some creepy pastas, rating them, reviewing them. And if you're a long-time listener, you've probably noticed that he hasn't been on for a while. Well, that's because he launched his own podcast called Pop Culture Convo. And uh, in his podcast, he just talks about all things pop culture and each list is accompanied by a top 10, a pop top 10. I've been on a couple of his episodes where we ranked our top 10 Mortal Kombat characters from the very first Mortal Kombat. Also, top 10 goosebumps from just ones that we managed to find thrifting and at book sales. So make sure you check those out. One of his recent ones is an all Dragon Ball Z themed episode. So if you love Dragon Ball Z, make sure you check that out. But also, I wanted to give a shout out to Liam Mustafa. He uh, is an artist on Twitter. He drew a nice Squidward suicide picture for me. It's up on the YouTube channel. If you want to check that out, that's Past the Time Podcast on YouTube. So I just wanted to thank him for the awesome drawing. You can check out his work on Twitter. He is at Liam Mustafa. That's Liam, M-U-S-T-A-P-H-E. Now with all that out of the way, it's time to jump into a jam-packed horror fix. Horror fix. To start out the horror fix today, I want to talk about a movie being released on May 21st, and that, of course, is Poltergeist. Now, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but my initial reaction to the film has changed. Uh, when I talked about it before, I hadn't seen a trailer. I was I read online that it was supposed to be directed towards a younger crowd, and it's supposed to have a PG-13 rating, which I all d- just dislike. But I saw the trailer, and it still looks like it's going to be pretty fucking scary, unless they just jam-packed all the good parts into the trailer which happens quite a bit and they threw a crazy ass clown in there so they're keeping that theme alive and clowns are creepy as fuck so as long as there's one creepy scene with the clown I guess it'll be worth my like $12 that I have to pay to see it so this movie's starring Sam Rockwell and Rosemary DeWitt not a big fan of either actor although DeWitt was pretty awesome in The Watch which is one of my favorite movies of all time so you know what 
skip out on Poltergeist. Just stay at home and watch the movie The Watch because it's amazing and everyone should watch it at least a thousand times. But enough about Poltergeist. I have some news on the Silent Hills video game that was supposedly cancelled. The Walking Dead star Norman Reedus, who plays, of course, Daryl, had tweeted that the project has been officially axed, but Konami said that it's just that their contract with uh, Norman Reedus has expired, so he's no longer going to be the face and voice of the lead character in the Silent Hill game, but Konami is still going to be developing the game, which I hope they bring him back, because that would have been awesome, and I love the Silent Hill games, hopefully they at least release something, as long as it's not a total hunk of shit. So I guess they can take their time as long as they're going to be releasing something that I'm going to enjoy playing. But at least we know they're still making the game, and that Silent Hill isn't, as of yet at least, officially dead. Now on to Adam Sandler. Now I know what you're thinking. Hey AJ, isn't this supposed to be a horror podcast? And isn't Adam Sandler a comedic actor? Well, yes and yes. But Adam Sandler has made the news recently for being the cause of us not receiving another Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Now, John McNaughton, who is the director of Wild Things, was set to direct a movie called Elm Street First Kills, which was supposed to be a prequel to the whole Nightmare on Elm Street series, which would have been amazing. You would have got to see what Freddy was like before he got burned up and stuff, see what kind of creepy-ass person he was, but also some of it was supposed to take place in hell. So now, I know what you're thinking, what does this have to do with Adam Sandler? Well, around the exact same time, New Line Studios had just lost a lot of money funding a certain Adam Sandler movie that took place in hell. That, of course, was Little Nicky, which I personally really enjoyed, and I still enjoy to this day, but at the time, New Line Studios had lost a lot of money, and they were really iffy on having a movie take place in hell, so... When director John McNaughton heard that, he just said, fuck it, I'm not going to do it then. So I'm pretty mad about that. I don't think it's Adam Sandler's fault, but at the same time, it kind of is. That movie just didn't get the respect it deserved. Or maybe it did. Maybe they just wasted a shitload of money. But either way, it just ties back to Adam Sandler not allowing us to have another Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And for that, I am very disappointed. Now for the very last thing in the horror fix, I had uh, just read an article on Vice Canada. So if you guys don't know what Vice is, they just kind of report stuff, do a lot of amazing documentaries on YouTube, and this one just blew my mind. It wasn't a documentary, it's just a little article of an interview, and it was amazing. Have you ever just been sitting there looking at your old Goosebumps Goosebumps books and just been thinking... Like, who the hell drew these covers? Personally, I thought there was a bunch of different artists who drew all the covers, but it was actually just one guy, and his name was Tim Jacobus, and Vice sat down with him and asked him a bunch of amazing questions, which I'm not going to spoil on here. I'll just let you know that he didn't get rich doing these Goosebumps covers. I mean, he told them that... uh, He got paid well, but he got nowhere near what R.L. Stein made, and that's because he didn't get any money for however many books were sold. He just got paid for his artwork, which it's cool, but just think of all the extra money he could have had if he had a better contract. 
But I guess that's just his loss. But there's one really cool thing I found out about the, in this article. It's that uh, he used a mixture of painting and airbrushing to get these amazing colors and just these covers that really pop out at you and kind of scare the shit out of you. So make sure you check that out. I'll tweet it. I'll put it on the Facebook page, and you'll read it. It only takes like it's like a five-minute read, so it's not a very long article, which makes it good, and it's with an amazing artist from the fucking Goosebumps days. Come on. You got to check that out. But that's been it for the horror fix today. Let's jump right into the creepypastas. We're going to start it off with Slender Man. After waking up with a jolt, the girl laid in bed a few seconds longer. Reaching over to switch on her bedside lamp, she tried to remember exactly what had stolen her sweet slumber away. When she couldn't, the brunette swung her legs over the side of her bed and heaved herself up. Checking the time on her phone, she snorted when she saw it was midnight, the witching hour. Knowing that sleep would only evade her, she left her bedroom for the kitchen, a good cup of coffee on her mind. As she passed by her front door, a chill spread like liquid fire down her spine. It's only winter, she told herself, focusing again on the coffee plan. Measuring out scoops, water, and preparing her cup kept her occupied, but as the dark liquid boiled, she had nothing left to keep her mind from wandering off. The chill returned, and she couldn't help but glance behind her to the front door. It stood there innocently enough, just like always. The deadbolt was still in place, and she could see nothing amiss with it. Turning back to her coffee, she did her best to forget about the feeling. With her cup in hand, she started back towards her bedroom. As she walked by the front door, she decided that a quick glance out of the peephole would help calm her restless mind. The chill worsened with each step she took towards the door and further away from the safety and warmth of her blankets. She pressed her empty hand against the cold, metal door and took a deep breath before leading her eye to the peephole. At first, she could only see an inky blackness that somehow seemed to swirl inside itself. When she blinked in surprise, the void melted away. She wished it hadn't. In its place, there stood what she could only guess was once a man. The limbs were long and inhumanly awkward, with bulky joints branching off into several arms, not unlike the branches of a tree. The creature was draped in a black suit, somehow making the thing more nightmarish to her. The icing on the proverbial cake, however, was what passed as the hellish thing's face. It was as though her mind blurred the ghastly visage to spare itself further shock and horror. She shoved herself away from the door with a hand still pressed against it. The scalding mug of coffee fell, the liquid burning her bare legs as she fell backwards and tried to crawl away from the door. She knew, somehow, that her mind hadn't been playing tricks on her. As she crab-walked away from the door, she watched his tendrils as black as the void she first saw snake around and through the cracks. The girl was trapped between the instinct to flee and the gut feeling not to turn her back on the door. When the door jolted, the urge to flee overcame her and she slipped in the burning liquid as she tried to make it back to her room. She knew deep down that she was trapping herself in a corner, but she had to get away from the door. The girl was halfway down the hallway when she heard the previously locked door creak open. She screamed and slipped into a wall, cracking her chin on it and stunning her. After that, there was only blackness. Nicole? 
A warm male voice snapped the woman out of her trance. As she turned around, she was met by one of her sister's doctors. She nodded, not sure if she should say anything, or even if she could find her voice if she did have something to say. That morning, she had gotten an urgent phone call from the hospital, saying that her sister, Lindsay, was there. Before they had even let Nicole see her, the doctors had pulled her off to the side and insisted that they talk to her about what might have happened. Phrases like self-inflicted and assault had been thrown around, and Nicole felt her mind reel. She still hadn't fully understood what they'd been saying until she saw Lindsay with her own eyes. Her little sister had a bandage wrapped around her head, covering both of her ears as well as her eyes. They said it was to keep her now deadened eyes from drying out and to try to keep infection out of the wounds Lindsay had made into her ears. The doctors had guessed that either she or someone else had jammed a pencil into them to keep her off her balance or to deafen herself against something. There was a mix of first and second degree burns on her hands, legs, and feet from what was assumed to be the coffee her neighbors found slipped all over the entry to her apartment. As Nicole walked into her sister's hospital room for the first time, she thought she had spied the silhouette of a man in the window. That she knew was impossible. Her sister's room was on the third story of the hospital. So that was Slender Man, one of the biggest creepypastas of all time. Now, when I reviewed this on the eighth episode, I remember giving it an 8.5 out of 10. Now, after reading this again, this is probably like the fourth or fifth time I've ever read this, and I don't know, I still like it because of what it kind of became. It's like more of a legend and a folklore thing because it inspired video games, all these amazing movies on YouTube and stuff, but... I don't know, the story itself wasn't the best. I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10 because the one thing I didn't really like rereading it this time, I noticed uh, she woke up at midnight and she's getting coffee. What kind of fucking idiot gets coffee at midnight? That's just like saying, okay, I'm 100% not going back to bed. I'm just going to get coffee and just fuck up my day. But I think uh, if they would have just changed it to, oh, maybe I need to sip a glass of water or something, but then I guess she wouldn't have second-degree burns on her legs. But I guess that's not a very big part of the story. So whatever, just have her getting water, and that would probably keep me in the story a bit more. But whatever, I'm giving that 7.5 out of 10. I loved it. It's inspired so much creepypasta stuff, so many fake accounts on Twitter and stuff, which are always fun to look at. And you know what? It's just an all-around creepy-ass story, which is what we're all about here at Past the Time Podcast. Now let's get into one of my personal favorite stories of all time, and that is... The Rake. During the summer of 2003, events in the northeastern United States involving a strange, human-like creature sparked brief local media interest before an apparent blackout was enacted. Little or no information was left intact, and most online and written accounts of the creature were mysteriously destroyed. Primarily focused in rural New York State, self-proclaimed witnesses told stories of their encounters with a creature of unknown origin. Emotions ranged from extremely traumatic levels of fright and discomfort to an almost childlike sense of playfulness and curiosity. While their published versions are no longer on record, the memories remain powerful. Several of the involved parties began looking for the answers that year. 
In early 2006, the collaboration had accumulated nearly two dozen documents dating between the 12th century and present day, spanning four continents. In almost all cases, the stories were identical. I've been in contact with a member of this group and was able to get some excerpts from their upcoming book. The Rake, A Suicide Note, 1964. As I prepare to take my life, I feel it is necessary to assuage any guilt or pain I've introduced through this act. It is not the fault of anyone other than him. For once I awoke and felt his presence, and once I awoke and saw his form, once again I awoke and heard his voice and looked into his eyes. I cannot sleep without fear of what I might next awake to experience. I cannot ever wake. Goodbye. Found in the same wooden box were two empty envelopes addressed to William and Rose, and one loose personal letter with no envelope. Dearest Linny, I have prayed for you. He spoke your name. A journal entry, translated from Spanish, 1880. I have experienced the greatest terror. I have experienced the greatest terror. I have experienced the greatest terror. I see his eyes when I close mine. They are hollow, black. They saw me and pierced me. His wet hand. I will not sleep. His voice. A Mariner's Log, 1691. He came to me in my sleep. From the foot of my bed, I felt a sensation. He took everything. We must return to England. We shall not return here again at the request of the rake. From a witness, 2006. Three years ago, I had just returned from a trip in Niagara Falls with my family for the 4th of July. We were all very exhausted after a long day of driving, so my husband and I put the kids right to bed and called it a night. At about 4 a.m., I woke up thinking my husband had gotten up to use the restroom. I used the moment to steal back the sheets, only to wake him in the process. I apologized and I told him I thought he'd gotten out of bed. When he turned to face me, he gasped and pulled his feet up from the end of the bed so quickly, his knee almost knocked me out of the bed. He then grabbed me and said nothing. After adjusting to the dark for half a second, I was able to see what caused the strange reaction. At the foot of the bed, sitting and facing away from us, there was what appeared to be a naked man or a large hairless dog of some sort. Its body position was disturbing and unnatural, as if it had been hit by a car or something. For some reason, I was not instantly frightened by it, but more concerned as to its condition. At this point, I was somewhat under the assumption that we were supposed to help him. My husband was peering over his arm and knee, tucked into the fetal position, occasionally glancing at me before returning to the creature. In a flurry of motion, the creature scrambled around the side of the bed and then crawled quickly in a flailing sort of motion right along the bed until it was less than a foot from my husband's face. The creature was completely silent for about 30 seconds, or probably closer to five, it just seemed like a while, just looking at my husband. The creature then placed its hand on his knee and ran into the hallway, leading to the kids' rooms. I screamed and ran for the light switch, planning to stop him before he hurt my children. When I got to the hallway, the light from the bedroom was enough to see it crouching and hunched over about 20 feet away. 
he turned around and looked directly at me, covered in blood. I flipped the switch on the wall and saw my daughter Clara. The creature ran down the stairs while my husband and I rushed to help our daughter. She was very badly injured and spoke only once more in her short life. She said, He is the rake. Being a small town, news got around pretty quickly. The police were helpful at first, and the local newspaper took a lot of interest as well. However, the story was never published, and the local television news never followed up either. For several months, my son Justin and I just stayed in a hotel near my parents' house. After we decided to return home, I began looking for answers myself. I eventually located a man in the next town over who had a similar story. We got in contact and began talking about our experiences. He knew of two other people in New York who had seen the creature we now referred to as the Rake. It took the four of us about two solid years of hunting on the internet and writing letters to come up with a small collection of what we believed to be accounts of the Rake. None of them gave any details, history, or follow-up. One journal had an entry involving the creature in its first three pages and never mentioned it again. A ship's log explained nothing of the encounter, saying only that they were told to leave by the rake. That was the last entry in the log. There were, however, many instances where the creature's visit was one of a series of visits to the same person. Multiple people also mentioned being spoken to, my daughter included. This led us to wonder if the rake had visited any of us before our last encounter. I set up a digital recorder near my bed and left it running all night, every night, for two weeks. I would tediously scan through the sounds of me rolling around in my bed each day when I woke up. By the end of the second week, I was quite used to the occasional sound of sleep while blurring through the recording at eight times the normal speed. This still took almost an hour every day. On the first day of the third week, I thought I heard something different. What I found was a shrill voice. It was the rake. I can't listen to it long enough to even begin to transcribe it. I haven't let anyone listen to it yet. All I know is that I've heard it before, and I now believe that it spoke when it was sitting in front of my husband. I don't remember hearing anything at the time, but for some reason, the voice on the recorder immediately brings me back to that moment. The thoughts that must have gone through my daughter's head make me very upset. I have not seen the rake since he ruined my life, but I know that he's been in my room while I slept. I know in fear that one night I'll wake up, only to find the rake staring at me. So that was the rake, one of the best creepypastas ever, in my opinion. I mean, I didn't really like the ending. I felt like it could have been better, uh, even if it was just the same idea, being afraid to wake up and find the rake staring at you. Just, I don't know, word it differently, kind of make it a little bit longer. Felt like it was too abrupt. I'll wake up to find the rake staring at me. I just want more. But whatever. Still one of my favorites. Uh, my old ranking for this creepypasta was 8.7 out of 10. And I, after reading it again, I still really like it, but I don't think it's 8.7 worthy. I think it's more like a solid 8. Great score. Great score, but... Eight's good. There wasn't enough, like, creepy, crazy-ass shit happening, like the whole Mariner's Log. I didn't really give a shit about that one. And the journal entry wasn't so good. Suicide note was okay, but the whole thing was pretty much just the witness testimony or statement. That was the best part of the whole story. I just want more crazy shit happening. But I guess the rake killing a child is 
pretty fucking crazy. So creepy enough for me. 8.0 out of 10. Now that's it for the creepy passes for today. But guess what we do have? A brand new installment of Dream Theater. Welcome to Dream Theater. So just last night, I had a pretty creepy fucking dream. Um, I tend to have a couple dreams every night. They're normally not too scary, but this one scared the shit out of me. Me and one of my best friends were kind of just like, oh, let's go to the bar, let's go have a good time. And it turns out this the entire fucking dream, which felt like 100 years, uh, Jason Voorhees was chasing me, and I was in this giant tower that was like a maze, so I could always see him coming towards me, which kind of made it creepier. It's like the movie It Follows. You can just watch it coming towards you. And I was just running away from Jason for about, like, what felt like an eternity in my mind, probably more like 30 seconds. But it killed, like, 50 people, uh, some of which were my friends. Uh, sorry, Jeff. Uh, sorry, Gray. You're both murdered in my dream. Hopefully you don't die from Jason Voorhees in real life. I think the chances are pretty slim of that happening, but I just want to knock on wood. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Don't want to jinx anything. But the one bad thing about the dream, there was no closure. There was no ending. I kind of woke up before anything immaculate happened. Like normally he's about to kill you and then you wake up in cold sweats. You're like, oh, 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 I'm okay. Or you get away or something happens that kind of eases your mind. No, he was like still following me. And at this point I was just, I was on like the roofs of houses, like in uh, the game Dying Light. I was just fucking roof jumping like a boss. But I don't know what happened. Didn't end. Maybe it'll pick up tonight, and I can update you guys with if I die or not in the dream. Because you know what? If you die in the dream, you die in real life. Let's hope that's not the case, because I don't like that. I don't like that at all. But if you have a dream that you want to share with the whole audience of Past the Time Podcast, make sure you shoot me an email at pastatimepodcast at gmail.com or send me a message through Facebook, even Twitter, any of that stuff. Twitter at Pass the Podcast, Facebook.com slash Pass the Time Podcast. And guess what? We still have one more segment to do. It's amazing. There's so much Pass the Time for you today. And that segment is Rate and Review. Now, recently, I've just been destroying all this horror content. I've been watching movies. Uh, listening to audiobooks, reading my own books. So I had a ton of crazy stuff to choose from. Things like Mr. Mercedes, the Stephen King book, Revival by Stephen King, both of which were really good. But I'm going to save those maybe for another episode because me and a few of my friends, including friend of the show and performer on the show, Jordan Rowe, we all watched Wrong Turn 6, Last Resort. The movie where incest is in full force and the mentally challenged are ravenous murderers. So this review is going to have spoilers, so if you're actually going to watch this movie and you don't want anything spoiled, just skip to the end of this podcast, who cares? But if you want to hear this amazing review, then just keep listening. Uh, This movie sucked, but it was good at the same time. It was better than Wrong Turn 5, if that has anything to say, but not as good as Wrong Turn 4. I liked Wrong Turn 4. In the mental asylum with all the snow. Yeah, loved it. Well, not loved it. I'd say I was lukewarm on the movie. But back to Wrong Turn 6. What am I doing here? So in this movie, a guy named Danny inherits this, like, great giant hotel, uh, which I don't know who actually owns this thing because I don't think he inherits it because the there's two people that are working there that he's related to 
that I I feel like they own it, but they're the only employees. It doesn't really make any sense. Oh, and guess what? They're brother and sister, and it's fucking incest city up in the hotel. But back to the movie's plot. So Danny brings out like eight or nine of his friends to this hotel because he is supposedly a big shot on Wall Street. And if you're a big shot on Wall Street, you're rich. You don't need this shitty hotel. And... I don't know. They're trying to go for a bunch of deeper meanings with his friendships and trying to find out who your real friends are. Just skip all that shit. Just give me murderers. I don't need your crappy attempt at a storyline that was just full of plot holes and terrible. All his friends are assholes, and they're trying to steal a bunch of shit from his hotel. So so they're not very good friends, and they deserve to die. And die? They did. I mean, these... The, like I don't know what they were, these hill people, they're mentally challenged incest babies. Uh, they're just killing everybody. Um, there weren't really any cool deaths. There was like arrows through the eyes and stuff like that. There's uh, quite a few scenes with boobs. So if you like nudity, that's always a plus, right? Yeah? You know what I'm saying? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. But the brother and sister that uh, – I don't know if they own the hotel or whatever. They actually have secret plans to get Danny there because he's related to them and he needs to have sex with his sister to keep their family breed pure. I guess it's like the Lannisters in Game of Thrones. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And for some reason he goes for it. He gets like shit-faced with them and just starts drinking one of his buddy's blood. He's just like, oh, whatever. No big deal. I'm just going to start drinking my buddy's blood. Like he's not my fucking best friend. He's the one friend that wasn't a dickhead. And you drink his fucking blood. Doesn't make sense. Does not make sense. But from there on out, he's pretty much uh, teamed up with his um, brother and sister, who they all love to have sex orgies with, whatever. But now their plan is just to run this hotel. I guess there's a couple friends left, and the mentally challenged murderers make short work of them. But somehow his sister that he's banging now loses her legs and shit. I don't don't remember. I think she got, like, kicked in the leg, and, I don't know, her leg exploded. Something happened. I kind of tuned out during that part, and it kind of ended with... uh, Danny having sex with his legless sister while he's being surrounded by the mentally challenged uh, incest babies. Not not the best ending. I mean, you could have could have done something. So anything's better than that. Like, I guess it's memorable if that's what you're going for. That's the only time I've ever seen that before. But you know what? I'm just going to give this a rating so that I never have to talk about it again. I'm going to give this movie 3.5 incest-ridden siblings out of 10. So that's uh, it's pretty good. That's like three and a half siblings that uh, are all banging each other. Ugh. Yeah, that's, that's just dark. I don't like I don't like that. What a terrible note to end the show. Way to go, AJ. Scaring everybody off. But that is it for this episode of Pass the Time Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope it's an improvement over the last time I did these two stories when the quality wasn't so good and the music was a little bit off. But that does it for this episode. Uh, make sure you like us on Facebook.com slash Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Podcast. We got a new Horror Block unboxing video up on our YouTube page, uh, Time Podcast on YouTube. And guess what? Subscribe to the new comic book block by the people that do Nerd Block and Horror Block. So going to have an unboxing for that this month. Oh, I'm so excited. There might be Deadpool in it. Might be Deadpool. Might be Deadpool, people. So I'm excited for that. I just can't wait for that Deadpool movie either. And holy crap, I say excited a lot. I guess I'm just excited for a lot of things. So excited. I just can't hide it. I'm about to lose control and I think I like it. Okay, that's that. now it's it. That's it for the show. So goodbye, everybody, and try not to have too many nightmares. <laughs>